I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am delighted to be able to be talking to Jenny Zhang today. She was born in Shanghai and grew up in New York. She's the author of the poetry collection, Dear Jenny, We Are All Find, and the story collection, Sour Heart. And her latest poetry collection is called My Baby First Birthday. Jenny, it's so nice to see you. Hey, thank you for having me. This is cool. We were just talking about how <laughs> the world is um, wild right now. It's chaotic, it's chaotic and it's reckoning with pretty much all the human mistakes that we've made since existence started. <laughs> just a few, huh? <laughs> you just, the moral is you can't get away with it forever. You just can't. It catches up to you. In the um, most micro and macro way, yeah. And, which is a great segue into talking about your latest collection, um, where so much of the premise is based on, we never asked to be born. <laughs> we were born without consent. Yes. Yeah. I, I was very concerned with that as a child. I was very concerned with that as a teenager. And I guess I'm still very concerned yeah. with that for all the reasons of why the world is having a reckoning right now because it's it's it always troubled me that the first thing that happens to us is that as you said we're born without consent without getting to choose and then we're born into a world that is is not safe is not fair is not loving to all um and depending on who you're born to and where you're born to and what you're born into, um, your safety might be so severe, your lack of safety might be so severe that you don't even get to live very long or the life you live is not worth living or it's too painful. And um, so those are things that I thought about a lot 
obviously as a teen, because life for all teens, (laughs) even the incredibly privileged ones often feel too unbearable to, to keep going. And it certainly did for me. But I think at the same time, I was also grappling with, and I honestly think we're having this right now in, in America and all across the world. I was also grappling with the fact that like, well, I already was born and I already lived this life. And in some ways, like, I don't ever want to not live this life. This is the most beautiful life that could ever be. And I'm so grateful that I got to be alive. I'm so grateful that I had people who kept me alive, who nurtured me, whether it's my blood family or chosen family or strangers, all the things that make human life ecstatic and worthwhile, I think have to do with connection and all the things that make human life terrible and not worthwhile and painful have to do with the lack of connection, the severing of connection, brutality, all of the things that are the opposite. So yeah, I think this book grapples with that duality a lot. Um, and you, you mentioned the theme of loneliness um, quite a bit. And I, I just was thinking like, could you have imagined that <laughs> we're in quarantine month three and a half? <laughs> And it, it really, it's, it's a nice reminder that loneliness is part of the deal. Yeah, I know. It's interesting because when my book was coming out, I think there was a whole thing, as you know, in February and March, writers whose books were coming out. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a really tough time for those writers, especially the ones who this was their first book or they'd... Yeah written it for so long. I mean, that's every writer. That's not just some, it's every writer. It's, it's it's a terrible experience to not be able, it's a personal tragedy that um, is made to feel pretty small in light of like a mass human tragedy. Yes. But at the same time, like personal tragedies still matter. Like people's parents still die. People's loved ones pass, not related to COVID, not related to the protests. Um, People lose and relationships, people have big dreams that they were waiting to debut that didn't get to happen. So I think uh, that was happening. And I was really feeling for those writers. But then my book sort of was a little bit after that, maybe before his birthday came out, I think May, May, May 12th or something mm-hmm. like that. And by then, the publishing world had sort of figured out a way to yes. books. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I myself was like, I was like, who cares? <laughs> who cares about my book? I don't care about my book. I, I, I can't even imagine caring about my own book. So I couldn't ask anyone to care. And I had gone through this whole internal struggle of like, why should someone spend? I think I was very much of the mindset of like, these are end times and I don't want anyone to do anything in end times that they don't want to do. Like, if you're not going to live the life that you want to live now, dude, it's going to be too late. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do it now or you'll never do it. And so I really felt like, why should anyone spend their time reading my book? And I did have to get over my own apathy to myself and what I had written. And 
in a way, like find meaning again and, and try to believe that I'd written something that wasn't only relevant in non-pandemic times and non-unprecedented times, because actually everything is unprecedented in a different way. And actually the themes are always the same. Loneliness is loneliness um, before and after pandemic. Um, yeah. They take on different forms and you reach different depths, but it's still, I mean, I was lonely before I had to be lonely for a public health crisis. Right. People who get married were lonely before they were married and can be lonely after they get married. Like all kinds of things exist regardless of changed material circumstances, even if changed material circumstances make a huge difference. So I think that was something that was interesting. And also the fact that a lot of the things I was writing, I was kind of projecting into the future. I was writing about the ways in which we were destroying the planet yeah. and the ways in yes. which um, wealth was being worshipped in a way that felt evil to me and antithetical to human connection. And it seemed like we were barreling towards an apocalypse. <laughs> and it also <laughs> seemed... <laughs> and then I was also really concerned with, I don't know, there were these concerns I ended up having that I think, I hope are actually relevant now still. I mean, I don't hope they're relevant because I want them to be irrelevant. Right, right. I think they are relevant, sadly. I, I One of the things that really got to me about the collection, and of course I would never, you know, tweet this, but... <laughs> the the wanting and needing of attention is something mm -hmm. that doesn't actually go away just because there are 1000 million things <laughs> worse in the yes. world yes um and 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 so for that i really did sympathize with the writers who would like get their little bit of attention for the for their books yeah. that's that's like that's the payoff Totally. And also if you're writing a book, I mean, not everyone does this, but I, I think if you're like a deep writer, you're writing about like human joy and human misery. These are eternal themes that have the same obstacles keep coming up with different faces and details, mm -hmm. but like you should be writing about things that are kind of like present in human life until we figure out how to unfuck up everything and then we live in like a utopia. Okay. And then there's no reason for books, I guess. <laughs> well, they'll all be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jenny, switching topics a little bit. Um, this collection features many different bodily fluids. Mm. Um, goo is, is, one of the best words that's used quite often and can mean <laughs> just about anything. Why do you think people get so uncomfortable talking about the things that happen to everyone in everyone's body? Hmm. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know because I guess my inverted question is like, why am I comfortable with that? <laughs> like I, I, I did not have any reason to be, and I was never taught that it was okay to talk explicitly about the body. And I was often 
chastised for being too explicit about the body because I don't think we live in a society that is welcoming. I don't think we live in a society that likes bodies, to be honest. No. <laughs> I think Unless it's, it's a very certain body. Exactly. Unless it's a very certain body that has punished itself and hurt itself a lot to look that way and, mm-hmm. and cannot look that way for very long. So that's also a form of hatred because to put those bodies on pedestals, the very white, very thin you know, very toned bodies or whatever that is, bodies of deprivation for a woman um, and bodies of bulk for a man. That's like, like, that is also a hate, a way of hating a body because the amount that you have to go through to achieve perfection, it's killer. It really is. It is. (laughs) And Um. it's also killer to like, look at how much we hate bodies. Like we're reckoning with like how much, like this the institutions that are supposed to protect all bodies are like actively targeting harming and killing black bodies um like i don't know like actively neglecting indigenous bodies actively like just hurting like trans bodies like i don't know so there's a lot of um I think I'm like disgusted by the disgust of bodies in this, in this culture. And I think to me, every act of intimacy I've ever had, whether it's a friend or it's a lover or it's a family member has involved like loving their body and my body. I don't necessarily mean in a sexual way, but like, I want to know about what ails my friend's body is. <laughs> I like seeing, I'm not disgusted if they have bad skin, if they have whatever is considered bad, if, 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 they, if they're sick, like I want to love them through it all and I want to be loved through it all. So it just made sense in these poems to go there because like everything happens in the body. If you have a conversation with someone um, your mind mo- might not know if they're a safe person or a dangerous person, but your body knows. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. your body yes. tenses if they're not safe. Your your stomach hurts if they're not safe. You feel closed. And I think so many people are so disconnected from their bodies. They think that they can figure it out through just their brains alone. And it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> and especially when you're talking about the ecstasy of uh, connecting with some with other people or the loneliness of like those are things that you feel in your body yes totally and birth is birth like totally destroys for in a very intense period of time and stretches to the limit a person's body (laughs) and then you have to put yourself back together i don't know if you're a mom or i am not but i mean this is a good another good segue (laughs) one of your other big words in this book is cunt yes (laughs) and not just your cunt or other people's cunts but your mother's cunt yeah tell me about using that word that so many people again find icky yeah i'll never really know if i'm 
doing justice or doing something interesting. I, I, I can't say that, to be honest, because there is also an overemphasis of an obsession with um, genitals and all that stuff. But I think... Mm, why do I use that word? Um, I think because... This is a really good question. I haven't talked about this in a long time. I've only just done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell like a sort of parallel story that maybe will illuminate this. When I was a kid, I grew up in this very, uh, I went to a school that like didn't really have white people for the first uh, eight years of my life. And, uh, like it was to the point and I was a very naive kid, but it was to the point where there was this kid from Ohio who moved in my sixth grade. It's like the first white kid I'd seen in five years. And he was like, we all made fun of him mm. and like really abused him for his white skin. So I had it all twisted. I was like, wow, like I feel so bad for white people. Like everyone's racist. <laughs> no. against them. Like I, I literally <laughs> didn't get that it was the exact opposite because of the way I grew up. Um, and so there was this white kid, a different white kid, um, who's not in my grade, but a different grade. I actually don't even know where he came from, but every day I would walk to school with my grandfather and this kid would come up to us and he'd walk with us like part of the way. And I, in my naive little brain was like, oh, this kid like thinks we're the best. Like he can't stop hanging out with us. Like <laughs> he just like loves, he loves us. He's always around us. And, um, but I could feel like in my body to go back to bodies that something was really off that maybe I was wrong because the way he was talking to us was kind of aggressive at times. Mm -hmm. And then later I moved to like a white suburb and I kind of, sorry about the sirens. The way we live now. <laughs> I kind of realized um, that the word chink was a slur and I hadn't known, I hadn't known that before. It, it, you know, it's like when you're a kid and you watch a Disney movie and then you watch it again three years later and it's like a whole new story because mm -hmm. you know all these words now and you realize that you missed half the story. But it was like, I realized I missed half the story. I realized that what he was saying was word chink over and over to us, to me and my grandfather. And I realized in that moment what I thought, what I thought it was, was not what it was. And it was so weird that all it took was me learning the definition of that word and how mm. it was used. Because if I hadn't, I would have never known or something. And I took that kind of naive approach in some ways to the word cunt. Mm. I was like, why can't it be sweet and nurturing and cute? It sounds funny. Yeah. And, and at the same time, I also, you know, when this terrible human being who is in office right now. Um, I can't like say his name. When he got elected in 2016, <laughs> I love that you're just shaking your head like that. <laughs> Not say his name. <laughs> when he got elected, or before he got elected, and he was talking about grabbing women by their pussies, mm -hmm. it was this thing of like, I was never allowed to use that word pussy in any publication. And suddenly the New York Times is printing it, no asterisks, no. And I'm like, why is it that we're only allowed to say things when they're used to violate someone? Why is it when I use it to 
celebrate or to make fun or to be funny or to be glib or to be anything else, it doesn't count until someone is saying it to hurt people. And now we have to share that. And it's like, we're seeing this now in the news. It's like, why didn't we care about the way that we were treating black people in this country until the worst thing keeps happening and we'll only talk about it again. Yeah. So I was like, let me freaking change that best I can (laughs) and make this word, like have every balance of meaning possible. So it can't just be uh, a word of violation, at least in the universe of my book. Yes. I I answered your question. (laughs) I think that's that's amazing. (laughs) One more word I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Seppuku. Oh, yes. (laughs) Jenny, tell me. It's another one of those words where I feel like I have a very standard definition of yeah. this word and the idea of this word. And, and then you kind of changed my mind in the course <laughs> of the book. Well, I also use that word in a way very irresponsibly. And it's totally, uh, if anyone wants to call me out on that, they're totally in the right because I'm, I'm not Japanese and I don't really have any authority to talk about um, like uh, a deep, like ancient, you know, like story, like a practice of ritual suicide that, um, you know, I'm not a scholar and I'm not Japanese, but I was playing with a couple of things. I think one thing I was playing with are these like very traditionally masculine ideas of honor and that one way to restore one's honor when the world has become truly too dishonorable and too evil is to commit ritual suicide in a very um, showy and performative way. Mm -hmm. And I was writing these poems at the same time. I mean, this is really dark that there were all these men committing mass murder suicides um, and it felt ritualistic, but like in a way that made me so angry of like, it boiled down to these men who felt like they deserved to be fucked by the hottest women they wanted to be fucked by. And so they had to go down in this blaze of glory and like their pain could had to include other people feeling pain that, that they, they wanted people to feel their pain. And that no one else's pain was relevant or totally, totally. Yeah. It, it really, it sickened me and it upset me. And it's like, yeah, the only way their pain would have been resolved is if women just agreed to be like assaulted by them or something. I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Um, So I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the ways in which, you know, I'm, I think of myself as Chinese or Chinese American Mm -hmm but I've had to identify myself as Asian American and that includes like so many different countries, so many right. different cultures, countries and cultures and people who've hated each other, who've oppressed each other, who've murdered each other and who've genocided each other. My grandmother still can't watch a TV show where there's a Japanese soldier on TV without convulsing. Cause she, um, she saw Japanese soldiers quite literally slicing pregnant women's bellies open and pulling fetuses out and twisting their heads off. Like she can never forget that. And for me, 
it, I, you know, I don't feel any animosity when I see a Japanese <laughs> person. In fact, I'm like, oh, we're comrades because we're all, right. you know, racialized as the same person in America. So I was also playing with this idea of like ignorance and like um, not like flattening those extreme nuances that uh, in that uh, only the people who know them care about. And then the last thing I was playing with is just, I mean, I do it, I guess, throughout the book, but like taking extremely serious, deep things and talking about them glibly. Yes. Um, I don't know why I did that. I just, I guess I just wanted to, because I also just felt like, why is it like, if it's just true, for example, that all women, you know, cis and trans women are truly like violated by patriarchy if if that means all of us have been in some way violated um then it's like i still want to have fun do you know what i mean <laughs> like, I, i'm still a fun person oh, even that's if such I a good hurt <laughs> that's a good message for these times truly so i think that's where the glibness comes in yeah <laughs> Um, I am going to ask you in a second, um, for some book recommendations, but I did want to shout out, um, <laughs> a line from, I'm looking page three, I have all my, oh, your whole body is slanted. Mm. And you say, when did I agree to be a textbook for you and your whole dumb family? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't stop thinking about that when I see anti-racist reading lists. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. And if, if perhaps people were reading not only to educate themselves, mm. but to broaden their worlds. Totally. Totally. I think... I don't know if it's in that poem or another poem where I think I write something like admit you want me to have a function. Mm -hmm. It comes from that same feeling of like, don't just be interested in me because the world and all of its media is saying that we've harmed this group of people so badly and you belong to the group of people who's complicit in harming this other group of people. Be interested in me be interested in everything before then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah As yeah. like a person, always be interested in knowing more about people who don't get to have fun because they're dealing with harm. Always be interested in why you get to have fun. Is it because you're not dealing with harm? Um, and if you do that before the worst has happened, then you won't like it's like all that Twitter stuff of like checking on your black friends. And then it's like, but don't just like check in on them. They, they don't like <laughs> want to hear from you if they don't know you. And you're just asking them like, Oh God, are you in, I can't even imagine what you're going through. It's like the, the reason why, like, I don't know. I laugh at that because it's like, because the, the, I think the moral is like, just actually be a friend. Like if you're an yes. actual friend and yes. you're always checking in on your friend, even when there aren't national, that's what you do with race. friends. Exactly. And you know how to check in on your friends. Some friends don't want you to be like, 
how can I help? Some friends want to be like, hey, I want to come over and not talk about any of this stuff because um, I think about it all the time and mm-hmm. I want to freaking listen to Mariah Carey and talk yes. about people I don't like with you. That's how you're my friend. So it's like get to know people on a human level so that you're not reducing them to their traumas because nobody freaking wants that. No one wants that. <laughs> um, tell me what you've been reading lately. Ooh, okay. Well, I've been returning to poets that really give me solace. I haven't been able to read new things, to be totally honest. Mm -hmm. I think because I'm just looking to feel, I'm just looking to feel homey. So I've been reading my friends. I've been reading Tommy Pico's poems, his tetralogy, IRL, Nature Poem, Junk and Feed. I've been reading Morgan Parker, um, Magical Negro, and um, she wrote this really cool YA book called Who Put This Song On that I'm really loving. Hmm. Um, I've been reading Yi Young Lee. Um, Her work is really dark. Uh, Her essays are really dark. If I wrote all about birth, she's been writing all about death. And it's been soothing to me for some reason. I don't find it dark. I find it soothing. So I've been Mm. reading dear friend um, from my life. I write to you in your life. Um, And uh, when reasons end or where reasons end. Yeah. And then I've been reading Denez Smith's new poetry collection, homie, which I think is so good and so delicious and yeah, those are the books I keep returning to over and over again. They just make me feel warm. <laughs> I love that. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. I had the best time going off on all these things. <laughs> thank you for letting me do so. <laughs> Please, anytime. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.